It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb, Eric, and Sean. Listen in as your hosts discuss the 1978 film Dawn of the Dead. So, starting with Dawn of the Dead here, the first thing I wanted to ask you guys is, which cut you guys watched? All of them. Oh, I mean for this 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 discussion, but... Oh, I, I didn't watch it for this, because I've already, like, know it by heart. I mean, it would be like us doing... Watching Clue to do a, a thing about Clue, or <laughs> Murder by Death. I just know it by heart, practically, so That's I... That's fair. I will still watch these things. I mean, even things I've watched it a thousand times before. Um... Well, funny you should ask, because I believe the first thing I watched was the short standard cut, um, mm. and it wasn't until today that I realized there was other cuts and longer cuts, and so uh, about an hour ago, I started watching the longest cut I could find, um, but other than it being longer... I already noticed a lot of other differences besides actual edits. Uh, there's a lot of mm-hmm. other differences. So, so yeah, this this is interestingly different already from what I've seen in this longer cut. Yeah, and how long was the one that you watched? Because I know that there's one that I've not seen, which is like, like almost two hours and forty minutes. I think the first one I watched was about two fifteen, and this one is the longest one I found, uh, and this one's two thirty four. Or almost 235. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never seen that version. But I, I was just curious because um, I bought the beautiful Second Sight Blu-ray release that came out last year. Oh! And I grew up, or at least not grew up, but I saw it when, when I first got the DVD. It was probably like 14. Ooh. It was the uh, director's cut. And that's the version that I've seen the most. But I just recently watched the Argento cut. So... I was curious for you, Sean, since you have such experience with this. Have you seen the European cut? Yes. Um, you know what? I don't know. I said that I know the movie well. I don't know it well enough to know uh, what the differences are. Um, I'm watching mm. it here in the background. I'm watching the extended cut. And I was started watching it um, before we started recording. And there were scenes I, I, I could see that I have not seen before or that are not in the uh, regular cut. Um, the European cut, I'm assuming that's the Argento one, yeah. was the last time I watched it. I watched it at a friend's house. I don't know why we watched it, but uh, oh. the music is not the best. They, 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 was a, they were a little heavy-handed with the music, I think. Oh, it's grating. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Wait, hold on. Are you saying it's different music or a different mix? There's, uh, it's a mix. Uh, it's they add put new music in that isn't in the American version, um, because Argento was like part of the of Goblin, right? Is it or is it the Goblins? I I don't know. A uh, Goblin. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know exactly what his role was within the band, but it it definitely was his go-to band for composing. I don't know if he was involved with them getting together or if he was just the guy who gave them work, but. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They have some great pieces in the theatrical cut and the extended cut, but yeah, it goes way overboard on his cut. Just, yeah, it damages the movie to some degree with how much they overplay it. And my friends didn't like it. I'm like, guys, this is a really good movie. I swear it is. It's kind of long, <laughs> I know, but it's First time I saw this, uh, I went to film school in college. I went to Columbia College. It's very, it's only $8,000 back then, but now it's like $35,000 and all kinds of famous people are graduating from them. But um, I had a class on horror movies. It was just, and literally every week, we would meet in a small theater that was in the school and watch a horror movie and then discuss it, okay? Um, and the, the, the teacher, we call it our teachers by the first name, he would also give out suggested viewing. You know, we're not going to watch this in class, but on your own, go. you can go watch this. So I went to the, the, the library in the school, and they had movies on Laserdisc, and I rented it out. And you, could, you, you had to watch it in the library. And I, I want, that's where I first watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it completely scared the shit out of me. Um, I watched this movie on the big, big quote-unquote, well, it's still bigger than my TV set, what the hell. But I saw this in uh, that uh, horror movie film class, and I remember I it I just felt so exhausted at the end of it because it uh, it is so uh, it's not like it's an action movie, but I felt depressed, exhausted. Uh, I went to school in downtown Chicago, so I, I came out of the school and I'm a, you know these busy downtown streets, and I'm like, oh my god, everybody around me is like a zombie. You know, uh, they say that zombie movies, if you like zombie movies, that's a, that be, that's because you're you hate other people. And, you know, in zombie movies, the bad guys, well, not always, especially with Romero movies, the bad guys are, you, you know, uh, other people. Uh, but they're usually the worst ones are people that are still alive, uh, which is what happened. In, you know what, though? This was, of course, a quote unquote sequel to Night of the Living Dead. And it's a better movie than Night of the Living Dead. I mean, Night of the Living Dead was like, hey, let's make a movie. Horror movies are big. Okay, let's make a horror movie. And everybody got together and, you know, did what they could. And then, you know, you hear people years later like, oh, my gosh, it's about racial equality and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, if they had listened to uh, Dwayne instead of that, that mean guy, Mr. Whatever's, uh, they would have all died. Instead, if they list, would have listened to the mean guy, they would have all lived. Because they all would have been in the basement. Well, except for that girl. Anyway, that's besides the point. But it's a, it's a better it's a better made movie. And it's not just because it's in color yeah. or anything. Um, but it's it's much more rich. Uh, it has... I'm, I'm sure it has issues that some people would call problematic. And that would be um, specifically the, the scene in the beginning in the um i don't know if it's a project but yeah the um, projects yeah. yeah uh that is a little 
Uh, I don't know. What's problematic I, about it? I don't it? know. I, 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 yeah, I feel like it's... I feel like people would celebrate it nowadays in, in some ways. Well, you have that one cop who's like, it's like, oh my gosh, he's got racist, like, written all over his head. Like, can't you tell? And he just wants to go in there and kill everybody. That's why I feel like people would celebrate it as kind of a, a, kind of a sign of police brutality. Which was actually being talked about at this time, so it's, it's not like it'd be super out of, especially with black exploitation, which I feel like this kind of leans into a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Um, but I, I think that the scene in the project is a lot more grisly than anything else that we see in the rest of the movie. And you always get this in zombie movies. The wife, uh, you know, she, she runs into her husband's arms and he bites out a big, huge chunk out of her neck. <laughs> this is completely off what you're saying. I apologize. But um, I mentioned how I got that Second Sight Blu-ray set. Um, but of course, Second Sight is only a UK-based company, so the Blu-ray that I have is Region B. And I wanted to watch this on my Xbox so I could occasionally listen to it. And so I put in my old Anchor Bay Blu-ray, which is actually worth a fuck ton of money now. Yep. And I, I when I was watching the Second Sight one earlier today, I was like, you know, I you know, like this is a good, a great transfer, but I don't really see that much difference between the old transfer. But watching it now, like there's like this almost like high contrast sheen that they put over it yeah and it crushes all the blacks like everything looks super sharp but when you get to like the fine details everything's like kind of just smudged a little bit it is funny those those differences that you don't really so i'm curious really think about too much until you... i didn't want to get into the grading because i feel like everyone falls asleep when when i start talking about grading color grading yeah. <laughs> but since you brought it up because that's why i'm curious this longer cut i wonder if it's the second if it's if it's a, a rip because this all the things I'm watching are on YouTube, and I'm wondering if this longer cut mm. is a rip of the second site one you're speaking of, or if it's um, Arrow Video, because whatever it is, it is it is very modernly enhanced in a good way, I, I guess you would say. But I, I can tell it's a fresh remaster because um, because the first cut I watched looked standard, for lack of a better term, like standard Blu-ray release. This one, the colors are much richer. The um, the lighting is much more nuanced in the shopping mall. Like reds and pinks have like a, a natural hum to them. Like it's very rich. And I almost feel like I'm watching an entirely different movie now that I'm watching this cut. It's dramatically different. Even even though the first one I was watching was a perfectly fine and capable cut, it, didn't, it wasn't bad in any way. It was just standard. This is something mm -hmm. else this is very enhanced what i'm watching now yeah i bought this original blu-ray probably in like 2010 maybe and yeah when second sight announced that they were gonna do a new blu-ray i was like well do i really need to get a new blu-ray i've got this this cut here but once they announced that it was going to be for the extended and the argento cut i was like okay i need to get both those on on blu-ray but i never realized that how kind of inferior this original blu-ray transfer was until watching it just but, now but again for people at home inferior it's it's just standard like it's fine it's not it's not broken or anything it's just standard uh, yeah it's it's it just doesn't feel as natural yes. as watching the new one yes but like you said i'm sure this is boring people so <laughs> for the record i, I have the dvd with it, uh, somebody gave it to me <laughs> dvd christmas 
hold on, hold on. I will not. I will. It looks great. I I almost. It almost looks like a Blu-ray, um, but it's the collector set that came out with all four versions of the movie. Uh, in case oh, it had nothing to I'm do s- for. I'm so jealous that you got that. I I wanted that desperately. Yeah, and I held and, it in my hands once in a Walmart, and I was like, 60 bucks? Like, do I really want to pay this? I already have the extended cut on DVD. Ah. Yeah. And I, I regret so much that I didn't buy it at that time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Grandma and Grandpa. May you rest in peace. But now I have it. And watching it on the big screen, because, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not going to... This is not a humbleness, but, you know, I have a bigger TV now. I'm seeing stuff that I never noticed before. Um, like, uh, there's an implied zombie baby. Uh, sequence in the in, in the oh. beginning with the projects, and they break into a, a room or an apartment, and there are there is a beheaded man whose arm has been chewed up, and mm-hmm. there are toys all over the place, and there is another zombie in there. It's a big, like middle-aged guy that's been like bitten in the face, and they shoot him. But there, I think it is implied that there is a zombie baby in there, oh, although wow. they, never, they never show it. Uh, they do in Dawn of the Dead, the remake, though, but that maybe we can talk about that a little, while, a little later yeah, on. Yeah, we'll save that one. Yeah, just because just we were just talking about the, the Blu-ray release, I, I feel like I should say this. So along with, because I got a, a very expensive release, this Second Sight DVD, or Blu-ray, fuck, not DVD. Um, it came with the, like, the soundtrack, which has a, the separate Goblin soundtrack, but as well as just all the, like, what do you even call it? Like the um, like public domain music that they use throughout the movie. Mm. So you get all that. And you also get the original novelization. It's included with the set. So I thought that was super cool. I've never seen that included in a Blu-ray set before. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, yeah, it's like something Criterion would do. But I remember, uh, I don't know why I bought this movie. Tulane Blacktop. In Criterion Collection, and it has the script in it. And oh, I'm thinking, wow. why? Why would they include the script when they've got the movie? I mean, so I thought, you know what? I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna read the script before I watch the movie. Didn't like it in written form. Didn't like it in on the TV either. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Damn. Slapped. <laughs> I've never seen that, but I've heard good things. But mm. it's like when they released. And then there were none as a video game. They included a copy of the book as if to say, hey, fuckers, get off the computer and read a book. Stop playing video games and read a book. Anyway, Oh, that's sorry. funny. Oh, but for you, Eric, because me and Sean are both kind of like, I, I think I saw this round when I was like 15 again with my extended cut Blu-ray. But you said that you'd seen this previously. When was that? Well, it was 1998. Uh-oh. Fall 1998. Oh. Um, it was a good year. So, it's the best of times, worst of times. Just, I just moved into the dorms in college, and as freshmen, uh, we were all issued um, computers, and I was really looking forward to this because this was my first DVD player I ever had. Um, DVDs came out in 90, late '96. This is now late '98, two years later, and I was like, finally. I have my own DVD player. And so uh, I got my first DVD ever, which was uh, American Graffiti. And one of my roommates, he went to go purchase his first DVD ever. 
and he bought this uh, Dawn of the Dead, which I was not really familiar with at all. So I saw this from watching my roommate uh, and he uh, watch it and play it. Um, but here's the thing, though, because you know he, he he played it a fair amount of times that semester, and I, you know I did, I wouldn't usually see like the whole thing at once. You know I just see whatever part he was watching or whatever. And so, actually, my memory of this movie is 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 very flawed. Um, I remembered it differently. So to the point that when I was watching this in preparation for this conversation. I wasn't even sure I was watching the same movie because I remembered it so differently. Um, and perhaps because I have seen the remake, but I mean, it's been 15 years or it's been a long time since I've seen the remake. Um, but maybe I have some of the remake mixed up in my memories, even though I don't know that movie very well either. Uh, but just, just, just to encapsulate it. I completely forgot there was stuff that happened before the mall. So all this was like new to me. Um, I thought the whole entire movie pretty much took place in the mall and that was it. Also, the way I remembered it, there was just more protagonists or more characters um, together. And, and, and the way I remembered it, there was like a, a more of a mixture of people, but that's completely wrong. There's only four people and, yeah. Yeah. and they're basically two pairs. And and that is that is just not the way I remembered it um, at all. So it was almost like watching it again for the first time, really. Because um, yeah. yeah, my memory just completely changed this movie into a whole different thing. Other than I remember, of course, the setting and the time period that I got right, but everything else, it, yeah, this is like watching it for the first time. One of the cool things about this movie compared. Uh, to a lot of other zombie movies is that uh, first of all, this does not have the best zombie makeup in cinema history. <laughs> I mean, the makeup is, is you know, I think I could I think I've done better with zombie makeup because <laughs> um, I was a, a zombie every year for a while there and um, oh, there are little details that they put about their zombies. It's almost as if they try to give each zombie a personality. Right now, I'm watching the scene where they're in the basement, and they have to basically shoot all the bodies that were dumped in the in the, in the laundry chute or the garbage chute or whatever it was. Yeah, me too. There's one. There's one that's um, the woman. She's wrapped up in a sheet, but she's holding a rosary. Like you know, there's a story there. That lady died. Somebody gave her her rosary, or, or rosary beads, right before she died. Um, later on, we see. Uh, maybe it's getting a little bit too carried away when they get to the Hare Krishna zombie. I think maybe that might be much. I remember in this one of the sequels, Day of the Dead, they had a, <laughs> I think they had a bride zombie. They had a clown zombie. I'm like, come on, now we're just getting a little bit too. Uh, but I like that about this movie. Uh, there's a scene where later on in the movie, later in the movie, uh, when Tom Savini and company arrive, um, the bad guys, the biker dudes, you feel sorry for the zombies. You, you really do. They're so mean to the zombies. I mean, there's that one. They steal that all that zombie's jewelry. That zombie doesn't mm -hmm. care. You know, it was like, oh, leave her alone. You guys are so mean. Um, there's another moment where with the nun zombie where she gets her habit caught in the sliding door. And uh, Galen Ross uh, opens up the sliding door a smidge to let her go because, you know, poor thing. 
got her habit stuck in the door. You know, I've had it. Galen's probably like, oh, this is like that one time I got my skirt stuck in the car. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I like that about this movie. And I think that we have zombie kids, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't think anybody thought that they were going to go there, that they were going to have children that were zombies. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. When you watch The Walking Dead, you see a lot of zombies. You don't see any zombie kids. I think this is the... Oh, no, there was a movie. There's some particular ones, yeah. Including Dwayne in the beginning. Is it Little Children? Uh, no, that's another movie. Um, with Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, um, oh, God. Uh, Little Monsters. Check that out. That's, that's pretty that. good. Yeah, she is a, uh, she's a kindergarten teacher, and she takes her kids to uh, like a nature preserve on a field trip. But there's a zombie virus going on, and it affects... Uh, well, no, wait, there are no zombie kids in that movie. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a bunny trail like I usually do. I gotta interrupt. I looked up Little Monsters. I was like, oh, what's this movie? And that fucking terrible Fred Savage and Howie Mandel movie popped up. <laughs> Why is that terrible? And that's what I was going to ask if that's the movie Sean was talking about. That's a cult classic. Wait, what was... Yeah. Oh, I can't stand that flick. <laughs> Fred Savage is from Chicago, and uh, he was in, uh, like, sort of my best friend. She was my best friend in, in uh, like, up through eighth grade. She went to dance class with Fred Savage, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I wow. know somebody who knows somebody who's famous. <laughs> um, is, it the, is it Little Monsters? Is that what I'm thinking of, though? Uh... Uh, uh, this is the only one that came up. I'll look up. This is totally not relevant. But it just, I'll, I'll look it up by Lapita. Um, you do get uh, a, a kid zombie in the original Night of Living Dead, so that's right. I guess you do. Continuing that on. Um, you also, you know what? Yeah, you know that. I was, you know what has bothered me about that? She kills her mother with a trowel. Mm-hmm. You know why doesn't she bite her like all the other zombies do? You know it's like the Wolfman. Uh, when I did the uh, uh, the uh, classic horror cast, Kyle said he never liked the Wolfman movie. You know, it's classic horror movie because it's like the way he kills everybody is he just strangles them. Like he's not really like a wolf. He's not doing his wolf stuff. He's just strangling people. Like he should be like biting him in the head and stuff. This isn't fair. Yeah, it's just like how Chucky was supposed to be a he was a strangler, but all he does is stab people as the doll. So it's like, yeah. why do you establish he's a strangler? <laughs> yeah, it is weird in The Wolfman. I still enjoy that movie, but yeah, it is weird. Sean is talking about <laughs> the Little Monsters movie from 2019. Yeah, Little Monsters. There we go. With Lapita Nyong'o. I'm, I'm a... She's so interesting. Pretty. Yeah, she is. You know what? No, I'm sorry. There's not... It's not the one with the zombie... The one with the zombie kids is called Cooties, I think. It's and, and it's all the teachers in the school are are the protagonists and all the children have turned into zombies because they ate some bad chicken nuggets that served in the cafeteria. Uh, yeah, oh man, I was so drunk though, I don't remember anything about it. I oh, think wow. it was called Cooties. Oh, wow. Yeah, there it is. Unfortunately when I Google it, I get cuties from uh, Netflix. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, there's a movie I forgot about already. Elijah Wood, Rain Wilson, Allison Pill, Jack McBrayer. I mean, if you don't know who Jack McBrayer is, he was that gay guy from 30 Rock. Don't ask me what his name was. 
<laughs> so politically correct. Oh, Cooties from 2014. There you go. Yeah. Rain Wilson, I think he plays a gym teacher. And he, you know, he plays it Rain Wilson style. Um, anyway, I'm so sorry. This has nothing to do with me. Uh, one, one thing, I mean, I don't know how old you are. Wait, you're really young, Kyle. Like, you're Kyle. 20 years younger. <laughs> Caleb, you're, you're like 20 yeah. years younger than we are. Um, so I don't know if you've been to the mall a lot, but you got to understand when I was uh, grade school all the way up for maybe sophomore or junior in high school, that was where you went to just hang out. You know, you would eat there. You'd spend the whole damn day at the mall. You may not buy anything, but you'll spend the whole damn day there. And it really brought me back memory lane, seeing some of these stores in the mall, like, um, oh God, I can't the cheese store there used to be one by me over at the harlem and irving plaza but what i love is when they get to the mall uh who's the actor's name i don't remember their character names so i have to be like galen ross which one is ken forey oh uh is it peter okay is he the white guy or the black guy uh black guy okay he says <laughs> you know well this was a special place for them at one time and that's like hilarious because uh, if we had this today where would everybody be going uh, if they were zombies would they go to like hmm. uh, Starbucks on yeah. Tinder and stuff <laughs> yeah exactly I don't know yeah they'd just be at home well I, I will just say I think I'm maybe one of the last generations who has still had that kind of mall culture oh and okay. probably okay. probably exasperated because um, the two of the places I grew up had two like the biggest malls in Canada, mm-hmm. or at least in the areas that I was in. Like there's West Edmonton Mall, which is a famous gigantic mall, where they actually did have an ice rink and an amusement park and a pool in it. So some of that brought back memories. Oh, I've I, I have seen photos of that mall. Uh, famously, I have a magnet on my fridge that came from that mall, and I have no idea how it came into my possession because I've never been anywhere near there. But uh. Yes. Yeah, you definitely never see a place with an ice rink in a mall nowadays, except for I don't know, maybe in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, just hanging out at the mall is definitely not not the the vibe today. Oh Wonderful. God, no! And you know, I couldn't stand it because I would only go to two stores: Suncoast Video and the bookstore. Everybody else, you know, shop for clothes and shit. Oh, I would go to in 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 the the heyday of malls. I would practically go into every single store except for women's clothing stores. Uh, but I would go into every freaking store. Uh, really? So you would go to Woolworths? Woolworths. Again, because like, like, but no, but I'm talking about back in the day. Absolutely, motherfucking lutely. Again, though, going to the early days, our, our okay. elementary through um, eighth or ninth grade for me, days of when, you know, like you said, you'd be there all day. Hell yeah. I'd go to every store yeah. like twice in one day. I, I- I remember that there was a Sears in Chicago that when you went in there, for some reason, it smelled like hot buttered popcorn. I no, I don't, I don't, I think they sold it somewhere in there. Well, here's the, um, okay. So I'm glad we brought the mall thing, because that's a big thing for me uh, with this movie. Because, yes, the mall was this amazing, fantastical place to me since I was in elementary as well. And this is sad. It's a big part of well, not just in real life, but I mean in movies too. Um, and 
it is one of the reasons why Fast Times at Ridgemont High has always been one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies, especially from the 80s, because it's all about the mall stuff. Like, I freaking love it. And, but see, here's the... Okay. And I love it, because even though that movie is 82, I believe, um, and I hadn't been to a mall in 1982. I didn't go to... A true American mall until 87 for the first time. But how, how do you remember the dates? Oh, I saw this in 98. <laughs> oh, it was in 1981 that I had my first erection. I, I had a nearly photographic memory up until like 89 is when, when I started losing my superpower. But anyway, I mean, that's true. I mean, I'm not just saying that. No hyperbole. But anyway. You, you had a superpower? Okay. Yeah. Um, so... So even though Fast Times Original High is 82 and it's, it's five years removed, because a lot of happens in five years culturally in the United States, especially in the 80s, um, I can still kind of relate to it um, and to what I remember like in 87. And of course, you know, I, over time we gradually saw the, the downfall of the American Mall from the 80s going to the 90s to where you know, it just died a slow death. But anyway, this movie is unique. Because it's the only movie that I'm really aware of, or that I've seen, that shows a mall in the 70s. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, and see, that's something different. I mean, you can see the through line from this mall to, say, Fast Times Original High. But it's even a bit more removed because it, it exists in this weird middle land between... In the 60s, where you still had your hardware, your your non-mall stores, your individual uh, or your strip mall stores, you could say, like your hardware stores and your um, like for instance, like a, a a gun shop, gun store, you would not find that in a mall like in the 80s. Um, well, maybe somewhere in America you you would, but I could totally imagine in the 70s though. I yeah, I don't know. I've always wondered that too. I'm like, okay, they have a gun shop, and also they have like safari noise going on is i'm like is that ever a thing that there is that you could go to the in in philadelphia or in pennsylvania well well here's the thing well here's the thing this this mall again because it's the 70s and not fast times of ridgemont high by by the time you get to the 80s you start getting all the conglomerates uh you know occupying malls so i guess this predated it so you have more mom and pop type shops and so I looked at the gun shop and like with its music um, as being like back in the day when you had all the uh, mom and pop video rental stores before the blockbuster took over. And so when shops had individual like um, personas, like character. Yes. And so a lot of the shops in this mall have that uniqueness. So I, I took it as that, like this could just be a regional thing or a one-off type store. And I even, and then like you even see, you don't, they don't show the interior. I don't think, but there's even like a bar inside the mall, and I do remember some places like that uh, still existed when I went to the mall in the '80s. And so, so even if you're used to modern malls or malls from the '90s, you see weird throwback things in this movie that you may not have realized um, existed in malls. And I, I just love it. I eat all this stuff up. Um, yeah, like I really do. Because people forget that hardware type stuff used to be sold a lot. I mean it. It stayed in Sears for a long time in Montgomery Wards, but like, it, I, I just love seeing this. This is such a great, and I don't know why there weren't more movies that were shot in malls back in those, or maybe they were, and they were just like the schlocky teen movies that didn't exist, that didn't um, not exist. They didn't uh, 
they didn't they didn't last um oh you mean like like chopping mall which is a great name for a movie i was gonna mention that at some point i actually watched that just a few days ago really <laughs> yeah i broke out my old dvd i wanted to buy that new blu-ray that they put out but it was like 57 bucks for a blu are you serious chopping mall i i watched it on yeah that's strong video they just yeah they jack their prices i watched it on shutter with joe bob briggs but uh <laughs> it's disappointing because chopping mall you want to see somebody and you know the poster for the movie uh this is another thing from the 80s you know i'll go into the video store and seeing all the scary movies that my mom and dad wouldn't let me rent and seeing all the posters and <laughs> i remember when that movie came out at the theater my parents weren't going to let me see it they what they let me watch alien but they wouldn't they weren't going to let <laughs> me watch like you know the violent stuff where people kill people and I remember the 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 the, the uh, and I'm so sorry. I'm talking about everything except for Dawn of the it's Dead. I remember the poster had like a hand holding a uh, bag, a shopping bag full of body limbs, chopping mall. Yep, looking at it right now. A face like screaming in the popcorn bag. <laughs> yeah, and you know what it's about, Eric? Eric, hmm, hmm, hmm. it's about a robot, a security robot in a shopping mall that goes crazy and kills a bunch of teenagers. That sounds awesome. Very disappointed. It totally fits into that robot vibe of the 80s, like Deadly Friend or <laughs> yeah. Rocky, whatever. Was it 5? Oh, stupid my <laughs> God. It was Rocky 4. I remember that. Yes. Four. Rocky 4. <laughs> oh, uh, that robot. Was... You were saying that. I was thinking Johnny 5. Um, oh, yeah. I or Space Camp. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Space Camp. Jeez. I thought that was brilliant <laughs> at the time. Uh, I, I, didn't realize, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was a B-movie until I rewatched it two years ago. Which movie is this? Space Camp. Oh, Jesus. Okay. In my memories, that was the first run, like, A-list movie. Oh, wow. Uh, and I saw it two years ago, and I had no idea it was so low budget, etc. I'm, I'm going to say, though, on the record, the worst thing I've ever seen with a robot in it is that one episode of Columbo. I think that that was probably the worst fucking... They put Robbie the robot in there to oh, give Jose yeah. Ferrer. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's so <laughs> terrible. Is is just like wasn't it like a kid too? Like the kid made the robot. Yeah, like his, his name was Steven Spielberg. Wow, <laughs> mm, that sounds stereotyping. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, did you ever see Deadly Friend? I, I just had a curiosity. I also watched that like maybe two weeks ago. That's why I watched Chopping Mall. It's another killer robot movie. No, I I know the name. What's what's it about? Oh, I don't know if I want to spoil it. It's a Wes Craven um, piece. Uh, I mean, saying anything about it would spoil it, but it has a hilarious robot. Okay. Called BB. Yeah, <laughs> very funny. They even end the movie with a theme song, where it says BB just over and over again in the song. It's just hilarious. Definitely check it out if you can. Is it kind of like Chucky, where the robot's supposed to be good, but he goes bad? It has some of that, and it also has a unbelievable twist that it's like, who thought of this twist, and how did it make it to be a feature? Because it is so bad. Such a okay. terrible idea, but so hilarious at the same time. But yes, this has nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Dawn of the Dead. And by the way, uh, social commentary here on when they're flying over uh, what I assume would be southern or rural Pennsylvania, mm. and we see the. Uh, can I say rednecks? I mean, is that uh, you can call okay. them red hats? Oh yeah, I saw their necks. They're looking pretty red. <laughs> That's saying something. You know, I'm pretty sure they all voted for Trump, or they would have voted for Trump. 
but obviously yeah, if they live that long <laughs> yeah that one lady with the cups she she's not around anymore you can bet you that much you know what the lady yeah. with the beehive and the and the styrofoam cups they didn't look super gun safe if you ask me yeah yeah well one of them actually says these these folks are probably enjoying this they're enjoying this but you know what they're alive and they they don't go to the mall they yes. drink beer and coffee and you yes. know it's probably the best way to, to to get out of this is just hang out together yes it's the opposite of covid you don't want to isolate yourself you want to get together with all your friends in a big group make sure you all have guns no but that, and that way it's funny because sean's being like sarcastic but i am totally agreeing sincerely i'm not i'm not being sarcastic the worst place you could be would be in a city like you know atlanta and the walking dead back when the walking dead was good Back when people hunched it. Back when it wasn't about me. No, but I, but, but I think... I forgot that I was thinking about this while watching the movie. Um, that it was perfect. It, it perfectly tapped into that. Like, like um, the comparison to COVID now. Because the way mm-hmm. our protagonists are reacting to the zombie pandemic is, is like the way the quote-unquote coastal people um, mm-hmm. basically react to, reacted to COVID. Uh versus the middle america people and, and it's it he perfectly taps into that just with those flyover scenes you're talking about um yeah it, it's so perfect and it is and what you just said because um people on the coast or in the cities on the coast are about the city life and city jobs and going to places that people in the city hang out at um those types of things and and that type of life whereas in the country yeah you just you do what you do, and you don't take things too seriously, and you don't get too freaked out by things. Um, like it's perfect; it is so perfect. Yeah, then that that ends in the, the end of like Living Dead. Yeah, they're all yeah. going around their posses, and then look what happens. They, yeah, you know, mob justice. Yep, and yeah, my partner Tom and I we have actually had a discussion about where would we go if there was a zombie apocalypse, and we instantly decided. We're going to go to my mom and dad's house, which is in the middle of nowhere. Well, it, more not so much nowadays, but it was kind of like it is there. Everybody owns a gun. We'd probably be safer. I don't know how we would get there, though, because, you know, there's a lot between here and Florida. So a lot of zombies probably, too. I don't know. I, I From watching things like The Walking Dead and other modern post-apocalyptic shows, I don't. there's nowhere to go. Uh... I mean, if you if you can get to an island community, that's your best bet. But even that's not perfect. Um, it's yeah. Oh, I remember my my train of thought. So, when I was watching this movie, I know Romero. I mean, it's pretty obvious right off the bat that his whole kind of uh, take with this movie is like, oh, don't fall into the false promise of uh, like consumerist protection. Mm-hmm. And it kept making me think of that whole George W. Bush thing after 9-11 where his whole, like, oh, society, the way to get better, just buy more stuff. And I was thinking, was, like, Jimmy Carter or Gerald Ford, like, were they doing the same thing around this time? And that's what, that's what he was commenting on, or... Were they doing what at the time? Uh... Like, like that same George W. Bush thing, Um... where they were like, oh, cure society's ills by buying more things. I don't know, Caleb, we're not that old. Uh, I don't know. I see. I no, no. Well, hold on. I don't know about fair. that. But, but the big issue was um, at, in their time. Those those previous presidents, their big issue was uh, the running out of things, 
and it was a really bad economic time in the late 70s early 80s it was like it was the worst since the depression at the time um and it was really hard to find jobs and then you had the, the gas crisis that was a constant thing um because of course we got it from the middle east and it was it was unreliable like how much we could get so so people were definitely economically struggling at that time uh uh, but I don't know if they were saying go out and buy things because the issue was there were shortages of things um, during Carter's term. So I don't know uh, beyond what I just said. Yeah, I just I just know that Romero talks a lot about how he wanted this movie to be like, don't put your faith in just consumerist things like that's not going to. But that was yeah. a theme in general, though, in the seventies, consumerism, absolutely. Um, in each one of his zombie movies, and he mostly is directs almost exclusively zombie movies. I mean, he did that one about the old guy, and he also did Martin. But really, that zombie movies are his bread and butter. Each one is about wow. a, th- a different thing. Uh, this is about consumerism. Uh, Day of the Dead is about don't put your faith in like the military. Uh, Diary of the Dead is about social media. Uh, there's one that I'm missing somewhere in the middle, and I don't remember which one it is. Oh, uh, Land of the Dead is about the rich versus poor. You know, the caste that we have here in America, but we don't call it a caste like they do in India. Or caste system, I should say. And the, the abomination of them all. Survival of the Dead. Starring Malcolm McDowell. And I think there's like three zombies in the whole thing. And uh, I paid $20 to watch it on demand when it first came out. Awful. It's terrible. It's boring. Um, yeah, I, I still think Diary's worse, but no, I don't know. He's done a lot uh, of a lot of varied stuff. I mean, Night Riders, Creep Show. Oh, Creep Show, yeah. Uh, Monkey Shines. <laughs> That's right. You're right. Yeah, Creep Show is awesome. Uh, Bruiser, which is one that I like. You never hear anyone talking about Bruiser, but I think that's a pretty cool flick. Um, oh, Season of the Witch. You heard of that one? It's like seventies, like some housewife who's like unhappy with her life, so she gets into witchcraft. And it has like a weird surrealist bent to it. Pretty strange flick, but okay. one that I quite enjoy. But no, he's, he's had a, a fairly varied career. I just think maybe the zombie ones are the only ones that people have really seen. Because a lot of the other stuff was pretty small. I, uh, back in 2007, when Diary of the Dead came out, I saw it at its premiere in Austin at Fantastic Fest. And George Romero was there. And what was really cool is when I got there, they sort of had this meet and greet beforehand where you could come up and, you know, you get by it. They had a, they had a uh, bar. George Romero was just standing there smoking cigarettes, drinking scotch. And he's got like his entourage with him, which are like two or three people. Like, I think two people the entire time went up and asked him for autographs and he gave them. And, um, you know, it wasn't like it was Comic Con. You had to pay 50 bucks to get your autograph from him. And what I loved about it is uh, before the movie started, he came out and he made a speech and he said one specific thing that he said was, oh yeah, and I address uh, fast zombies and all that bullshit in this movie, by the way, because fast zombies don't make any sense because if you're dead, your tendons and your legs would decay. That would, you know, you can't have fast zombies. But, um, yeah, you know... I don't know what he did differently in his lifestyle that he went from looking like Francis Ford Coppola to like a, a weird cross between Larry David and Woody Allen. But yeah, yeah, I've always wondered. If, I always wondered if he had some sort of disease that he never disclosed. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's kind yeah. of wither away in those those last years. It was quite sad to see. Yeah. And worrying. Yeah. I like he went from looking like he was 40 years old to 75 overnight, you know? Yeah. I, I I haven't seen every picture of him, but yeah. Um yeah, well we we've kind of talked around the movie in some ways, but what do you guys think about the characters? I mean, we got mainly just four that we focus on. Um do, do you guys feel like there's ones that you connect with more than others or ones that you kind of wish made it to the end like i always kind of a thing for flyboy i don't know what it is but it's felt bad for him he's always the character that i relate to the most so it's always kind of sad no, to see him die my feeling was fuck those two and those other two are just fine uh a couple no no the two the two swat guys the only the only two sensible ones were the ones who made it in the end and okay. the other two fuck those guys. I okay okay. See this is this is why I have trouble with horror movies in general. Um, because and this movie's a good example. Because overall I think this movie's fantastic for a lot of different reasons. Um, it's really, really great. But then there's the times I don't like in this movie, and those are the typical horror things I don't like. And I hate how like, what is wrong with you? Like, like when you have a plan or you have a goal in sight, and why do you, why do... I understand in some movie, in other movies, like, there's these dumb characters who are just dumb. Like, it's already established they're dumb. Or they're crazy. And it's already established that they're crazy. But in this movie, um, the two characters who I couldn't stand, they have sensible moments, or more than moments. Um... Like, Flyboy seems mostly put together aside from, you know, his stress that he's going through and everything. Uh, but what the fuck? Or, or uh, the other one I don't like. Uh, the other crazy yeah, one. Roger. Yeah. I mean, he he comes off across as, like, super centered and, and uh, sensible in the very beginning. And I get he got some weird PTSD, I guess, at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. But they just go, they just go off the fucking rails, though. Like, I, I almost... Wanted to fast forward through the truck scenes, like when they're getting the trucks, you know, and, and lining them up, and he's just acting like a fucking ass. Like that was painful. I was like, why does this have to do this? Why does he have to get? I, I actually agree. Oh my god, it's painful, and that's what takes me out of other horror movies. I felt really bad for Flyboy. What's his real name? Is it like David or something uh, like that? Steven. Steven. They're all bland names. It's like Peter, Roger. Steven, and then uh, Fran, which is, I feel like, the most interesting of the names. But... Fran? Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I picture an old lady when I hear Fran. Yeah, you just you don't hear that one as much. That's why it stands yeah. out. But... Oh, she's an old lady now, so I can... it's fair. Which I will actually just point this out, just, just interrupt you briefly. I think it's kind of funny that in The Stand and in this, we have a pregnant female character named Fran. <laughs> kind of popular I always wondered if there was some connection, but I've never heard Stephen King comment. But well, the Fran in the stand got pregnant before the pandemic hit. Okay, this Fran and Stephen, I'm telling you, uh, probably should have used some protection because this is not the time or place to get pregnant. You know, well, once they get to the the mall, he says that she's four months pregnant. Oh, well, really? So, oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. Okay, I did not know that. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't know exactly when this is. I mean, they've at this point, they've declared martial law, so it's been a little while, but mm-hmm. 
I'm sure not four months. My favorite character was Ken Forey. Um, he was my number one. My number four was uh, the other guy. Uh, fuck. Yeah, Roger. Peter was my number one. Roger, I agree 100% with what what you said, Eric. I think he was a hothead. And, you know, he was like, um, I don't know, like one of the... Uh, I always felt... Yeah, but see, like in Aliens, like there's, like among amongst the, the Marines... There's a hothead or two, yeah. but they're a hothead, and I get it. And and at least they're that they're consistent. I don't like when the characters are being schizophrenic, so to speak. Um, and, yeah. in this movie, yeah, not. I feel like I got to jump in and defend Roger here. Okay. I um, mean, one we saw we saw that group. I mean, basically his whole team fell apart. There was the racist one who just started murdering everybody. Another guy had to come in and kill that guy. Right after that, he sees one of his teammates shoot himself in the face. And he, he's mainly competent as they're getting the mall stuff together. And then there's, like, one scare scene when he turns around and the zombie's right there. And I feel like after that, like, it was almost like he saw his death flash for his eyes uh, and he just goes crazy. Okay, look, that's fine. But it's only for that one scene. That's fine, like, as a character arc, what you're describing. What I'm not cool with is, you better believe, never in a million years, no matter how much PTSD I'm having, will I just leave the door open. Or forget my bag, or like all this out of control shit that started happening during the the truck scene. It, it's just oh my god, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> it, it was pain. It was. I also feel like that's one of the things about slow zombies too, is you just start underestimating them because you're like, ah, oh, they're these slow lumbering like idiots. Like I can just basically walk around them. So it starts to get make you overconfident. But but I get what you're saying. It is frustrating watching that scene, but I I feel like it tracks well enough that I can see where the character's at at that point. But that's after me watching this like 20 plus times, so <laughs> so maybe I'm just accustomed to it. I feel really bad for Flyboy, uh, Stephen, because he's the victim of a lot of kind of toxic masculinity in this movie. Um, you know, it's okay. He doesn't know how to shoot. You don't have to, like, treat him badly. You know, like, you're in gym class in high school. Um, he flew your ass to the mall, though, and saved your life. So, you know, everybody has their, their special. But there's a great scene with him. It's on right now where he's in, like, the um, the office of the mall. And the secur- you see the security guard in the background. You're like, uh-oh. Hmm. He doesn't know how to use a gun. Not only that, he's trying to use a gun in a place that's going to ricochet all over the place. By the way, I call that security card zombie, Zombie Steve, because he looks a little bit like Steve. <laughs> oh. oh but, but then also... Oh. I do actually quite like that scene. But I will... Oh, sorry, Merrick, just interrupt you. Because, Sean, you were saying how he's kind of like this kind of milksop, kind of 70s male character who, yeah, the other men around him are all like more manly. Yeah, that that feels like a like it was like a small trope going on at the time. Really? Like uh, the year before this, there was the Hills Have Eyes, which was all about let's put like these soft kind of like I think they're from San Francisco, and you see like the kind of kind of pussyish pussyish man. <laughs> I don't know what word to use. Become like a hardened killer by the end. I think Westworld did the same thing. Um, the uh, Michael Crichton film Westworld. Oh, Richard Benjamin. Richard Benjamin, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I feel like maybe there was a couple other ones that did that same thing. I, I can't remember them right off the top of my head. But, but, but do you guys see that? Or do you remember that at all? I, I don't... Maybe I'm talking to my ass. <laughs> yes. I, 
I think the hills has the hills have eyes. It's the blonde kid, right? There's the blonde kid, but there's also the the husband of the daughter, who by the end has to go chasing after his baby. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, no, I definitely yes. think there's something in what you're saying, but also I, another thought I'm having, I'm watching this the scene where he's in the uh, what do you call it machine room areas of the mall uh, where all the pipes yeah. are and all that stuff, and it's. It's a weird juxtaposition because he has the appearance of like the suave Roger Moore Bond or um, like, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? A Man of the Golden Gun. Um, um, Scaramanga? <laughs> Christopher Lee. Yeah, but played, played by uh, Christopher Lee. Is it Christopher Lee? Yeah, Christopher Lee. Yeah, so he has this weird 70s suave Christopher Lee, Roger Moore appearance. And he's even holding the gun kind of like Scaramanga or Roger Moore would hold him. But yet he's he's he looks the part, but he's yeah, he's he's all over the place. It's ridiculous. At the same time. There, but there's something going on there yeah. with what you're saying. I, I agree. Yeah, and I don't know what that trope, I don't even know if that's a good trope. Like, oh, you're like this soft, civilized man now you have to turn violent. I mean, that that, that almost seems like, like Sean mentioned. If, if I had more time, I could think of a hundred other examples of that. Um, exactly. I feel like they were popping up all over the place in the seventies for whatever reason. But even in post seventies, there's plenty. What's really good is what's really cool is that he has uh, he he's the best zombie in this movie. I mean, he oh, does yeah. zombies so well. I mean, it looks like I think Romero just told everybody to act you know walk like a zombie would walk. You know, because mm-hmm. um, I think he said that he showed them how to walk. They'd all walk exactly the same. Well. Steven looks like he's been to zombie school. It's just the makeup and his makeup is better than any other zombies. I think that's, I'm sure that's on purpose. And he's just so creepy. And of course, of course, he remembers where all of the people are that they need to eat. Uh, yes. You know. And I, that's a weird thing in this movie. Cause you know, all the zombie franchises have their own different rules they play by. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a weird, interesting twist that I wasn't expecting in this. How, they remember things from their human selves. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Because it's mentioned before, you know, uh, Ken Forey says, you know, this this place was special to them at one time. Um, but yet you don't have people, you know, I don't know if I like that. It's subtle in here. Um, but uh, there was a movie, uh, you guys have seen it, Shaun of the Dead. Um, <laughs> and I forgive it. I forgive this only because it it's a really great movie. But the very end scene where he <laughs> has his best friend is a zombie chained up in the shack and they play video games together. <laughs> like, I get it, but that's really stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, would I keep a, uh, a crocodile in my swing yeah, pool in the see, back? And... <laughs> with a movie like that, though, that's so satirical. I, I, yeah, I'm okay with Yeah, that. I know, I know, I know. I think that went a little bit over the over the top. Um, you know, uh... yeah, and that that was a developing thing at this point in the Romero movies because there was a little bit of them remembering how to do stuff in Not Living Dead, like they would use tools at least, mm-hmm. and like like you mentioned before, like using the trowel or whatever that thing was that the kid used to kill her mom. And yeah, in this one, we see the guy with the gun. Like he, yes. I'm assuming in his previous life he had some connection to, to weaponry. 
It's so funny because in the beginning they lose the gun, and then you don't see the guy again until the very end of the movie when they're escaping. Yes, yeah, so I caught that on rewatch. I didn't, I didn't realize that it was sort of set up earlier. And they do go for humor uh, with the Harley Krishna zombie, which my dad used to make fun of Harley Krishnas. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Harley like a motorcycle. Yeah, but Harley. Harley Krishna, which I, I was going to research that. Uh, I, what was I watching? Where somebody was a... Mad Men? Pretending to be... Oh. No. It was, a, it was a show or a movie where a guy was a murderer, and at one point he pretends to be a Harley Krishna so he can follow home whoever he was going to kill. Anyway. Um, I was actually going to say it's a reference back to our Woody Allen, uh, Annie Hall. You mentioned Hare Krishna's in there. Well, yeah, also in Nashville, there, there's some Hare Krishna's in the airport. Yeah, they were all over the place. Yeah, that's that's the trope, yeah. Yeah, and they're also like an airplane. Yeah, <laughs> they make fun of it there. John Larroquette. Um, uh, sorry, we gave it the office. Um, where is it going with this? I thought the Hare Krishna zombie was a bit much. I mean, and also... There has to be more of them because there's only one Holly Krishna zombie. There should be like because they mm. always travel in huge groups. Yeah, so, you never see one without the other. That's right. So I, I'm just saying <laughs> this this movie isn't really that realistic. Yeah, you fuck this movie now. Well, see, no, no, no. See, his backstory is he was just also pretending to be a Holly Krishna um, because he was the only one that when he turned into a zombie that he still felt such attachment to the mall because. Uh, he had never really uh, shed his material ways, so that's why he's the only one. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that angle, but there you go. There you go. That that works. That tracks. Yeah, because uh, I was watching a short little uh, reaction or review video on YouTube, and he was t- this reviewer was talking about how the, of of our four protagonists, the two that eventually get get eaten, um, they were the two of the four who also had the most difficulty giving up their uh, uh-huh. material ways because they all had issues with it at one point in the movie but the other two uh you know shed their attachment the ones who survive but the ones who go down um it has to do with their attachment still to, to the mall and their material ways and it's fitting because again with the whole allusion to consumerism that they succumb as well and they also become zombies uh, themselves. oh yeah and yeah, I, I and I, I thought that too because when they get all comfortable and they've got their television there and their you know the office up there or whatever it is, it's very comfortable. And I'm like, you know what? I could do this. They don't have to go to work. They're safe. They got all the food they need, presumably. Although I think eventually it's going to run out. Of course. Um, yeah, you know they've got their record albums and their and their stereo and all that. And, oh, I'm so relieved, and I could do that. You're right. It's a trap. Don't fall for it, because soon that area will be swarming with zombies. Um, Or what happens here where they just fall into, like, a general malaise? Yeah. Like, ah, something's just missing in life. It's like we're stuck in, like, this artificial chamber. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, which is kind of the whole reference of, you know, wrapping yourself up in consumerism to pretend that the, again, like the Bush thing. If this was made today... Uh, there would be some sort of COVID thing. Like, that would, oh, I'm thinking that reminds me of, like, COVID, what we did in COVID. Um, I do want to, I want to play a game. Uh, Eric, we kind of used to do this in our podcast. It's uh, uh, Precious Comes to Mind, um, based on the book Push by Sapphire. 
what's what's going to happen at the <laughs> what's going to happen after the credits roll? There is absolutely no hope for these two characters. They're they're going to die. Yes, they're going to die. It, there's no hope. That's it. It's going to take a long time, but they're going to run out of gas. They're going to have to, um, I don't know, you know, land the uh, helicopter somewhere. There's going to be zombies. They're going to run out of ammunition. They can't have ammunition forever. They're going to run out of water. They're going to turn. There is no good way this is going to end for them. Uh, unless they happen to, you know, meet Rick Grimes and he invites them to live in fucking Alexandria. Well, Kirkman, I believe, Kirk, I'm going off memory here, but Kirkman said that that, that was like his reference to this um, in early in season one. Um, I think when Rick is finally getting through Atlanta, is that the city he's going through? I think, yeah, in like yeah. episode two yeah. or three of the original series, um, there's a helicopter that's like going down, uh, and then later Rick mm-hmm. just passes like a, a crashed helicopter, and and Kirkman said that was like his reference to this movie that. In his mind, that's the helicopter for this movie, and they just went down and crashed. That's interesting. And then Rick Grimes just walks the, past it. The helicopter also makes uh, uh, an appearance at the beginning of the remake. Uh, in the um, the remake of this movie has the best cold opening of any movie I've ever seen. I'm, I'm okay. So that's, serious. That's a bold statement. Um, it it just lands on its feet and runs and runs and runs. And then the credit sequence is like even like it, I don't know. I think the, the credit sequence for Seven is creepier, but the credit sequence. Anyway, if you watch close, you don't even have to watch closely. There's a scene, a very very far shot from above, and we see some cars driving, and there's a car that gets hit by a gas truck, and it crashes into a gas station and explodes. And in the meantime, we have this yellow and black and white helicopter flying over the scene. Uh, that was supposed to be them. Well, it wasn't supposed to be them, but it was a homage. And there's lots of homages to this movie in the remake that are really cool. No, but you're right. The, there's no way you can make it. It actually bothered me that they were wasting so much helicopter fuel during the truck sequence as well. Because I was like, yeah, I get it. He's a spotter, but he's not doing shit spotting. Um, it just seemed like such a waste of gas. I will also say one uh, something bad about this movie, um, and that is the acting is fine. Okay, for the most part, no Academy Award nominations here, nothing like that. But there are times, and I'm speaking of. There's the scene where uh, what's his face, Roger, gets bitten, and he's like, "We killed him today, didn't we? Didn't we? We whipped him." That was not well written nor well acted. Um, and also the the couple Stephen and and Fran, they spend a lot of time sitting around and looking gum and oh my glum I should say, and I'm like oh my god they're they're having marital problems. Well, exactly. I, I mean they're not married. That was a reference to Bergman's uh, marriage story because that's what I thought about them, uh, the, the couple who had no business, <laughs> the couple that had no business staying together anymore. I feel like this whole movie's kind of like oh let's look at like the cultural malaise of the 70s and i don't know too much about that but i just get the sense like no no you're, you're right that, that's what you were hinting to earlier because that's that's what the 70s turned into it was the decade of all the the cheap goods coming in from china and all the 
ticky tacky stuff you could waste your money on stuff that was essentially junk um that's what the set no that's what the 70s was all about all you have to do is come into the room that i'm in right now and realize that that has not gone away i have mine too (laughs) i understand but it was no but it was worse in the even though i wasn't sentient in the 70s and just what i know from you know pop culture etc and history it was it was the it was a bad bad time because there was all these new flashy stupid things that you would buy yeah that wouldn't last more than six months there there was a movie i made that was made i remember it was made not long after this movie but i was sentient as eric would say enough to see it at the theater my mom took me to see it and it was called and i wonder if you guys have ever seen it with lily tylem it was called the incredible shrinking woman yeah oh yeah right? oh yeah that's not criterion I yeah think. or is it it is oh, i'm not sure i'll look it up no, i've never seen it might be arrow video yeah uh I've seen it several times. It is a great movie. Uh, Charles Grodin plays her husband, and he is a uh, ad executive. And one account that he's specifically working on is Galaxy Glue, which is like a super glue. And I remember the Galaxy Glue, Galaxy Glue. And the film opens in a supermarket, and we have this guy with a microphone that's handing out free samples of something, some food, some snack item. And he has this one lady who tastes it. He goes, what did you think about the taste like that? And she says, it tastes like shit. <laughs> and it's like, they they tell her, she, okay, um, Lily, Tom start, start, Lily Tomlin starts shrinking. And up until the, the, she literally disappears in the end. And they tell her it's a product of all of the products that she has bought. That was kind of a pun. Okay. But like the shampoo, the conditioner, right. this, that. I mean, all the stuff that's in advertisements. And that's a really good, yeah. Never thought okay, of it. I lied about the Criterion thing. But that was one of my favorite movies when I was young. Love that movie. Yeah. Hmm. Me too. Yeah. Galaxy. That's my Glue. list. Check it out. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Especially if you like Lily, Lily Tomlin. And I do like Lily Tomlin a lot. And I remember there's this just absurd scene. Where she's like the size of a Smurf. She's living in a dollhouse in the I house. I love it. Love it. And and she falls in the in the garbage disposal somehow. And the maid is is dumping all these eggs and stuff in the garbage disposal. So you have Lily Tylen with these big fake eggs on a set. But the the maid can't hear her it's kinda of racist, can't hear her screaming because she's listening to her Tahano music on her headphones. Uh, yeah, definitely check that out, Caleb. That that was oh man, I'd love to see that again. Oh yeah, good times. Love that movie. Yeah, yeah. You know what? The one that made uh, that they're releasing on Criterion is the Incredible Shrinking Man. Actually, that's yes, they are. But I could have sworn it was like a fancy collector's edition. But I... it's been a long time since I saw that. But I don't like that. Much. That that was one of our eight millimeter movies that I have when we were uh, Shrinking Man. Uh, wasn't one of those uh oh, you had like like 10 minutes of or something exactly like exactly it was like the eight minute cut or 10 minute cut yes mm. so i mean is okay i listen to this podcast and sometimes they do deep dives on certain movies and they'll be like is this a horror movie and mm. i think this is a horror movie yes. did it scare or did it scare either of you or was it suspenseful for either of you definitely suspenseful in moments um scary uh, no, not really. I find the original Night of the Living Dead much scarier. 
But I saw that as a kid, and it scared the fuck out of me as a kid, so maybe I'm just reaching back to those memories. No, okay, this is difficult for me to answer because, first of all, almost no horror movies scare me now or have, like, in the last 20 years. Uh, there's some exceptions, but generally, even movies that people agree are scary don't scare me, so I can't judge. But I imagine if I saw this at the movies, certainly if I saw it in 77, this movie would have been... There would definitely would have been parts that would have freaked me out at the theater or at the theater experience. Um, and I probably would have ranked this as one of the most tense or intense movies uh, in that kind of way. Yeah. Especially for its time, again. Uh, absolutely. And um, I, you can find on YouTube, you can find Siskel and Ebert's original review of this movie. And Ebert is saying that he said, you know, um, he's like, this movie is absolutely terrifying. Um, it is, you know, like the goriest movie he's ever seen, you know, like in his life. Uh, and he was like saying, you know, so some of you, I'm just letting you know now, like if you're like faint of heart, you may not want to see this at the theater. This may be too much for you. you don't take the kids. I'm shocked. And so that's what Ebert was saying. The Cisco was like, uh, he's like, uh, but... But the tone of the movie, he's like, I couldn't really take it serious, so I wasn't so scared. And and Ebert was like, yeah, you know, there's, there are times that are, you know, comical, like, you know, whatever. But still, overall, he said it was like the most, like the most terrifying movie ever up to that point. I'm surprised. I mean, not being a zombie aficionado until Walking Dead came around. Well, I don't, I'm not, I don't know that I'm a, a zombie aficionado even still. But I'm just surprised that there wasn't more zombie stuff or this didn't inspire more zombie stuff in the 80s um i'm very surprised oh it did did it Uh, well it did absolutely did it absolutely i don't think any of it was very good no not a lot of it was good but i I feel like a lot of the appeal this movie hit more in europe same with the original one and so if you want to see a lot of its influence you got to look in europe and all over the place especially in italy they're making cheap zombie flicks just across the board. And there was even a bunch of unofficial sequels to this. Oh god! Like in yes. Italy, this was called Zombie, and I think they made five zombie sequels unofficially. Okay, see now, I have no doubt what you're saying is true, but it's still not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't yes, more. Some of them are great. No, in other words, like you had Jaws, so then you have all these like beast. Um, massacre movies that and yeah none of them are as good as jaws or better but at least they were out there uh in the in, on, in america um and i'm just surprised more people didn't try to make at least attempt to make quality zombie movies in the 80s or uh even in the 90s i'm trying to think what was the next significant mainstream uh zombie movie after this well i mean of course there is return of the living dead yeah which became a franchise of its own and had two really good entries, the first one and the third one. Well, was that in the late 80s? Is that when that came out? Yep. Yeah, it was in the 80s. Um, so there was that. Okay, there was that. I do remember that. forgot about that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones that would have hit in the U.S. Cause the ones I'm thinking of all. I'm really surprised that zombie stuff didn't take off like the way vampire stuff did. Like... Not until we get to like really to the 2000s. I mean, to where it really take off, took off, to where it became like a very ubiquitous thing. Um, I 
I am, I'm trying to trace the evolution of the zombie uh, film and popular or popularity of zombies. And I'm thinking, I really, uh, I'm going to go back to what Caleb said for a second, and that's that they made <laughs> some horrible, quote-unquote, sequels in, I, I think they were directed by Fulci, or is it Bava? Fulci did the first one, but yeah, the rest were just random hacks. <laughs> oh, I didn't even like the first one, but. Oh, I love that first one. <laughs> it was the one as a kid where they just showed the the the, the, the screenshot of the zombie and he's all, he looks terrible. And in other words, he looks really scary. But the movie is so slow. Except for the scene where a lady gets her eye pierced by a big wooden splinter. Um, I'd actually call that one of the great Italian horror films. Uh, really? Zombie, or Zombie 2. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Clutching the pearls. And I think it's got a great sense of pace, and Fulci really shows like a sense of artistry as a filmmaker. Okay. Um, but, but, but anyway. <laughs> it's been 15 years. Maybe I should check. Maybe I should go check it out. And on Blu-ray, it looks just fantastic on Blu-ray. They really cleaned it up. Oh. So. Hmm. So yeah, Zombies came back uh, shortly before Walking Dead was made, and I don't know the timeline but i yeah. dare say that it may have been the dawn of the dead remake no nope. because according to wikipedia which which is not the best uh source for anything they say there wasn't really much from this to like the resident evil video games in the, in the in the late 90s middle late 90s it was actually the resident evil movie yeah resident evil 2002 yeah that's what kicked it off at least according to paul ws anderson he claims he kicked <laughs> no, off the zombie. I don't think that. I don't think that that movie was. Yeah, I but but I but out. it's not that great. But I do think it also kicked it off as far as movies were concerned. Again, yeah, and it was a giant hit. The what? And uh, it was a giant hit, and then Twenty Eight Days Later came out later that same year. Uh okay, yeah, Twenty Eight Days Later. And I think that One Two Punch. I think those two together kicked it off. But although Twenty Eight Days Later wasn't the same massive hit that. Resident Evil was, but still, I think they kind of brought it back to the zeitgeist. Hmm. But I think the video games would would be for me. That's what it was because I think I remember buying my PlayStation Two on Halloween night and playing Resident Evil almost halfway through, a Resident Evil Two almost halfway through, and having to replay it again later on and having to turn down the volume at certain parts because they scared me. <laughs> they would still scare me. Well, I want to play that game again, but I, you know what, I, I don't know about Resident Evil the movie though. I think, I, th- twenty eight days later is more likely. Well, if you think about it in terms well, of, I, I think it's, I think it's the one two punch, and also like like, yeah. like Caleb said, like uh, twenty eight days later had like a cult status in a way, but Resident Evil the original movie, I remember it being you know very mainstream at the time. Like I remember a lot of people just seeing it because you know just because um, whether it was good or not, that's a whole different yeah huge hit conversation. Okay, so okay, we got to talk about the 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 remake a little bit. I think I mean because you know well I what, think we're do, weren't we going to cover that one? Do you want to do a whole episode on it? Yes, he does. I, I'm fine with it. If I'm you guys want it. to, um... I'm t- oh, I totally would. I I actually kind of like sure. it more than the original it's it's one of oh, the best wow. remakes um but uh yeah uh by the way if your friend dies in a mall don't bury him in the fake uh yep. soil or whatever <laughs> that is 
That's 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 gonna smell later on. Yep. Give it a couple days, you're gonna remember that he's there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean this has been such a scattershot kind of review of this show, but there was a couple things I wanted to point out that I that I appreciated just as a George Romero fan. Um there was that eye patched uh scientist on the TV who plays kind of a central role in the crazies. Mm-hmm. I was really happy to see him again. Have you guys seen the crazies? Not the George Romero version. Mm. I actually thought when I first saw this that that was George Romero, but it's not. Yeah, he plays the director. He's, he's there with his wife, too, at the start, the director of yeah. their uh, TV show, during that wonderful kind of chaotic introduction. It's always been one of my favorite parts of the movie, just seeing how, how crazy everyone's gotten in that, that studio there. Always kind of felt like a, like a touch of Mad Max. If you guys have seen those movies... Like, yeah. especially the first one, there's this kind of just everyone's going crazy vibe to it. And I really appreciate that Romero kind of caught that as well. I have to admit that uh, I'm not a fan of the first Mad Max. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't. I, I quite like it, but I get why people don't. But I think Toe Cutter is great as a villain. Oh, yeah. um, I like seeing Mad Max before he goes mad. I think it's like a fun, almost prequel to the franchise. I think it actually works better thinking about thinking of it that way than just thinking of it as its own movie. But wait, I'm so sorry. I have to mention something I just saw. It, it, it's uh, I'm hammered too. Um, they're in the the clothing store, and they are trying on uh, clothing. And Stephen picks up a jacket or a coat rather, and he looks at the price tag and he rolls his eyes as if he's <laughs> gonna have to pay for it. <laughs> Oh, speaking of those kind of moments, I love the moment when they're in the bank, and they take the oh, money yeah. and they both look at each other. And he's like, "Ah, oh, you never know." <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> or watching Roger eat olives, like I don't think I've seen a, a more appreciative moment of somebody eating an olive. Yeah, I do love those scenes of of them kind of early on just enjoying the consumerism, and they they cut it out of the theatrical cut, but in the extended cut, we get a scene. That's like a repeat of that, where they're still in the consumerism stage, but it's like they're they're they've lost the luster of it. Mm-hmm. Like Eric, you watched the extended cut. Did you remember that scene? It's like right after he proposes, and then we see them doing basically the same things they were doing before, but they just look like they're not into it anymore. Like they're kind of depressed. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And that's when we see that nude scene of. Yeah, I, I kind of pr- appreciate the juxtaposition of that. Like I get why they cut it out of the theatrical cut, but. I, I, th- I feel like that's one of those things that I would have appreciated still in the, in the original cut. Um, I'm so sorry. I know that you were sort of closing it off, uh, Caleb, but I, I also have to mention the um, the relationship between Fran and Steven um, mm. obviously starts out well, but it just, like, if these guys were together and there wasn't a zombie apocalypse, they would be breaking up um, because they find out that they can't live together. Yes, and that speaks a lot to. Mm. I may be wrong. Maybe I'm thinking more of the '80s, but they at one time said that every marriage has a 50% chance of ending in divorce, <laughs> and I don't think that's true anymore. I mean, my mom and dad divorced when I was a year old, but that kind of speaks to that. I, I it turns out I, I don't think they're the best couple or at least they're not the best couple when they're trapped in a mall during a zombie <laughs> apocalypse 
Yeah, it's hard to judge really how they would have their uh, marriage trajectory. Yeah, but he is kind of an asshole. Like there's that early scene when she's like, "Oh, I don't want to be treated as just your den mother. Like I want some say in what's going on. Yeah, I want to be treated like I'm a person." Yeah, that was a little bit of women's lib. Yeah, but he's just like pissed off the whole time. I was like, "What the fuck's this? Like this is completely reasonable, and you're just being a complete asshole." No, he, no, he is. He's he's but. a douche. He's a douche. He is. I still find him likable, though. I mean, that was a that was a downside for him, but otherwise, he's likable. <laughs> yeah. But no, Sean, I was I, w I actually wasn't closing it down. It, I don't know if it sounded like that, but I was just trying to bring it back to the the movie. But <laughs> so so all right. So so we mentioned the remake, and we'll we'll if you want to do an, uh, yes. another episode about the remake, yes. that's fine. But what's really fun about the remake is you see at least two of the actors in the remake being uh, interviewed on TV about stuff. Where did she get? Where did they get morphine from? I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sure there's a pharmacy. Again, because With the morphine? Yeah, well, probably behind the counter. <laughs> okay, all right, that's fine. Uh, usually they're in like a safe, so you know if the scalawags get in to get the morphine and the Xanax or whatever. Um, but fun fact in the remake, uh, Galen Ross, um, she played uh, Fran in this. There was a, uh, of course, the second one is also set in a, um, in a, uh, in a mall, and they were going to have a Starbucks, and Starbucks was said, "Fuck no, we're not going to have a, uh, huh. we're not going to be in this." So the, the, the coffee stand is called Sacred Grounds, and lo and behold, they spent a lot of time at Sacred Grounds, but the ladies' clothes store is called Galen Ross because they couldn't get. The permission oh. of whatever clothes store they Ross. wanted uh, to be there. Yeah, Ross just for this. <laughs> you, did you? There is actually a drag queen called Roz Dress for Less. <laughs> just so you know, uh, Caleb, there's a chain of stores down here called. Hey, I have, I have all the trading cards. Ross Dress for Less, and it's just kind of like. Do you have Marshalls up there? Uh, Marshalls. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Ross dressed for less. Uh, never wanted to shop. I don't shop for my own clothes, so whatever. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a thing. Roz dressed for less. Although my favorite drag queen name that I've heard is Helen from Accounting. That's just a, you know, it's not like you know, uh, you know, bag of chips or pussy divine. It's just Helen from Accounting. Pussy <laughs> divine. I'm sorry. Not pussy galore. The, Pussy Galore, yeah, I think that. <laughs> Pissy Miles is another one. Oh, jeez. Um, oh. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, just to, to flash back to the movie. Um, so I'm looking at my notes here, and I wrote down Chocolate Man Second Sight. Okay. So I mentioned I bought this Second Sight Blu-ray from the UK. And um, shortly after it was released, I guess there was some sort of error on some of the Blu-rays where the Chocolate Man line, people couldn't hear it. <laughs> And so there was this whole online backlash where everyone was like, holy fuck, this Blu-ray, like, it's incomplete. They censored the Chocolate Man line. And Second Sight had to be like, oh, we apologize. There was some error. <laughs> People were all offended, like, they thought that they censored it. But thankfully, my Blu-ray didn't have that problem. But I remember it was a huge uh, kerfuffle. So it's kind of funny that uh, you, Eric, chose that as your line for your name on the well, podcast you know here. Me. Which no one knows, but... <laughs> I don't even remember the line. I'm like, why the hell, Eric? Jesus Christ. 
Um, yeah, it's during when Tom Savini's chasing around um, uh, Peter. He climbs up into the vent. He's like, I see you, chocolate man. <laughs> so that's where it comes in. <laughs> My rec- recitation. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Um, I remember the first time I saw this uh, in school. There is a scene when they invade the mall. And there's this one... I can't There's this one guy. He's wearing a Mexican sombrero. Like, he's Mexican, but nobody Mexican wears a sombrero. Like, that's something that you buy on vacation when you go on a cruise or something. That's something that white people have. I used to have one. And what what he does is when all the zombies are storming in and and killing everybody... He decides to have a blood pressure test. That is so funny. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I thought, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Spe- it is funny. I remember when I saw this, the guy sitting next to me, and I, we just we couldn't stop laughing for like five minutes because it was just so out of nowhere. And of course, when he stops to have the blood pressure test, the zombies tear him apart, and then we see the blood pressure like give a result or something. I like, dude. How dumb are you? And is this racist? I don't know. No, it's not. I like at first his friend tells him like, "What are you doing, man? Like, come on." And then he comes back to it later when he's like just crazy. He's just laughing as it happens. <laughs> yeah, is it is it supposed to be like a fright response? Like, cause they all just start to laugh and go crazy as they're dying. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's true. I don't know. I've never seen anyone die, so. But. uh when I when I'm being chased by zombies, I really want to check my blood pressure. No, that, that's that's a pri- that's a priority. Those are great gag. I like all those gags. Uh, in this movie. Yeah, and I'll I'll mention um, on the second side Blu-ray they have a documentary called uh, "Document of the Dead." Mm-hmm. You guys ever heard of that? No. Yeah, I, I I saw that. Yeah, I watched that. Yeah. Oh well, for you, Eric, it's actually a super cool documentary because. It was made by someone who wanted to teach people how to make independent film. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like a usual making of where it's kind of like just more like a fluff piece, like a lot of my making ofs are. This was more like an in-depth, this is what we do in pre-production. This is how we do storyboarding. This is how we do makeup effects. So it's really cool. It's like a little kind of um, school in making a film. Mm-hmm. So definitely, definitely we're checking out. I know they've got they've got two cuts of it on this Blu-ray, but I've only seen the uh, the original cut. So I'm kind of curious one day. To... Romero was he was very accommodating making that movie. Yeah, yeah, because I guess it was just some sort of school in Pittsburgh that like came to him like, "Hey, you're making this movie. How about you help our students by letting us uh, film some stuff?" So I thought that was a pretty cool documentary, and it's I feel like you don't see a lot of making ofs from this time period from the '70s. Right. Where it's actually like behind the scenes interviews with the cast and um, like like they even interviewed John Amplis who was doing casting directing. It was kind of random. You don't see them doing too many spotlights on casting directing and making ofs, but which by the way, John Amplis who played the Puerto Rican uh, gang guy who runs out, he's like, it's a thousand pigs. Oh, that was him? Yeah, he was the star of George Romero's Martin, which is one of my favorite Romero mm-hmm. films Martin's just great. Is he like brown face in this movie? Yeah, he's he's got the brown face. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> and he shows up in almost every <laughs> George Romero film. He's one of the the standbys that you'll always find in them. In brown face? Uh, no, this is the only time brown. And, face. and not only in brown face, 
but it was really bad brown face yes like, super noticeable yeah <laughs> it's okay though and he's like dressed like chachi like, <laughs> i'm sure eric you didn't even know who this guy was and you immediately knew who i was talking about so that tells you how obvious it was <laughs> again if i had the trading cards for this movie that would be one of my favorite ones of, of his of his character yeah, and I will just briefly mention um, this movie has this whole biker sequence at the end. I think this is what inspired George Mara to make Knight Riders the next year. Or maybe it was two years later, I think. Which is like his version of King Arthur myths just told through like a biker mm-hmm. circus troupe. Mm-hmm. It also stars John Amplis and Ken Foray and um, Ed Harris. Really great film. Might be even my favorite Romero film, Knight Riders. Anyway, I guess that's off topic as well. Do we have anything else to say about? No, that's, uh, not, that's on topic. But what you just said doesn't make me want to watch it. No offense. Yeah, and it's it's kind of hippie-ish. Oh, and and by the way, Tom Savini plays one of the central characters, and he actually gives a pretty good performance. Shockingly, like he's actually like you'd think he was just an actor, like not a special effects guy or a stunt guy, because he's pretty good. But I don't know if this is in the. I'm watching the extended cut right now, but we see a scene of Fran watering the plants at the store. Oh yeah, that's Steven... the that's the second scene I meant when I when we see them like stuck in their consumerist phase, but they don't care anymore. Yeah, and he's sitting in the fake living room for like a um, furniture display, and I don't know what he's saying, but I don't remember seeing that scene, so that must be exclusive to the. Uh, yeah okay yeah and I, I quite like that bit because like the music is more like showing you that they're kind of stuck in this kind of somber phase when they're not really enjoying it anymore because it's so fun during the the first scene when we see it like roger playing the video game and you know them all shopping it's like oh like look how exciting this would be to live in a mall yeah by this point in the movie they're just kind of like oh great you know we're living in a small like fuck <laughs> what's our lives turned into Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I want to talk about for just a moment, not the Goblin score, but the um, mm. the uh, uh, what would you call it? The the mall music, the mall music, yeah, like public domain, like catalog music or something. Um, yeah, it's it's hilariously bad. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm you know I I've never been in a mall in 1978, so maybe that's how they did. But I do remember even as a kid that uh, mall music was bad, but. Fun fact, for those of you who watch Robot Chicken, um, the theme of Robot Chicken is actually the theme, or not the theme, but one of the music they play, one of the pieces of music they play on the intercom. They play that during the... Oh, yeah, you're right. God damn, I didn't even think about that, but... You never realized that? It clicks into place. I was never a Robot Chicken fan, so... I never was either. I uh, I've seen scenes in like um, hotels that I stay at. That mm. sounds really seedy, but you know. Um, here. Yeah, what were you doing at those hotels? Just a motel, motel, motel. Sean has a thing for those love motels. Yeah. Well, I had an hour to go. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Places where you pay by the hour. Exactly. I only I only stay at nice places like the Executive Inn, gentlemen. Um, but yeah, they they. Um, Speaking of uh, tunes with no, with no uh, trademark, yeah, that's uh, Robot Chicken still that. So they didn't steal it; they used it. 
because you can't steal it. But just, yeah, that, that's kind of a fun, fun detail. Hmm. Oh, but uh, do we have much, much more? I feel like this this review's been so like all over the place. But <laughs> but do you guys have anything else you want to to make sure to mention? I have nothing. No, I'm good. Oh, I've got something actually. Quickly, I'm um, in the extended cut. We see a brief scene. You know, you know, when we see that one cop who's like, "Oh, do you guys got any cigarettes?" And they're all like, "No, we don't have any cigarettes." Um, in the, the in the extended cut, we actually see that that was part of like a police group who was also going AWOL. And the leader of those police people is played by Joe Pilato. Now, Sean, do you know who Joe Pilato is? No. He played Captain Rhodes in Day of the Dead. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Is he the one that gets uh, torn apart horribly at the end? Yeah, he's constantly cussing and takes control. He's like, I'm in charge of this monkey farm now, Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, yeah, I see it. So it's, it's really fun seeing him there, um, but yeah, I think that's my last, last thing that I had to say. Have you seen Day of the Dead, Eric? No. I have not. I've seen remarkably few uh, zombie movies. People love that movie. I don't get it. I think it's a little boring. Oh, really? Oh, I love that one. Yeah. I think that's uh, one of the more dark. So I feel like that one really is like the apocalyptic, apocalyptic, like, oh, everything's failed at this point and humanity's just terrible. But maybe that's my cynicism talking. Well, I'm, I'm, we're at odds because I actually really like Diary of the Dead. So, oh wow, really? Wow. Or, yeah. or as its detractors would call, Diarrhea of the Dead. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that one, but <laughs> oh wow, wow. And Land of the Dead is pretty. You didn't good. like Survival? I think Survival is better than Diary, actually. Yeah, Land is Land is okay. Okay. But yeah, I guess. I guess we're at final thoughts. Um, Eric, I'm assuming you want to do some ratings here. So, uh, oh, sure. I almost forgot. Sean, do you have any, uh, any suggestions for the rating? Um, let's give this out of how many out of 90 would you give this? Because those are the last two numbers in my helicopter. Oh, pulling out the old Steve uh, routine. Wait, that's, I thought you, that's what you wanted. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just meant because Eric usually does you know, so many measure. Like, skulls out of five or something. But sure, let's go with the Steve rating. There you go. <laughs> so how many in 90 for you, Eric? I figured math out there. Where's the calculator? <laughs> oh, jeez. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it right now that quick. First, I'd like to say uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, with the critics. Donna, oh, crap. This is 2004. Sorry. I'll get back to that. <laughs> I'll find the right one in a little bit later. Oh, out of 90... So professional, this podcast. <laughs> out of 90... Oh, crap. Um, 50? <laughs> out of 90? God damn. Wait, is that low? Jesus. Is that low yeah, or high? Yeah, it's pretty that's, low. That's, yeah. that's like half. Yeah. Uh, I hate you, Eric. No, I, I, I can't do 90. I can't do... Um... <laughs> This is why you're never on the tavern, except for that one time. <laughs> I, I, 60? 60? I, I can't do 90. Uh, 6 out of 9, I think, works, I think. Well, maybe I can jump the line. I would give this, out of 90, probably about a 79. Like, I feel like um, definitely some of the characters are a little bit 
not quite there. Like, I enjoy them all as just fun movie characters, but they don't really feel like real people. But I think the social commentary carries kind of the fun vibe of the movie. Like, I don't feel like you can, like the social commentary is so good that it's like, oh, this is a great satire piece that, like, stands at the test of time as a brilliant film. No, it's just a fun horror flick with some fun characters, a little bit of social commentary, and some great gore. And that's that's what always pulls me back to this one. Mm-hmm. And it just looks great. I love the 70s aesthetic of it. So, so 79. That's my rating. Thank you. I did the math. Now I know the exact. I give it 54 out of 90. Yes. That's that's my official rating. And uh, I, I, I think this movie is mostly good. Um, every, you know, it it doesn't date well but it dates well at the same time and i'm surprised by when i watch it over and over again that i look at the zombies and i'm like that's stupid zombie makeup it it is really bad makeup but it doesn't mean that the movie isn't suspenseful or slightly scary or slightly eerie or something like that and it has worked for me for the for, for the most part it is probably my favorite amongst um romero's dead uh, not trilogy. Anthology or collection. Yeah, might as well say trilogy. The other ones don't count in the same way. Oh, that's <laughs> the, you can't. That's not true. But <laughs> I'm gonna give this an 84 out of 90. I really love this movie. I've watched it multiple times with friends. I've shown it to people. Um, the acting is a little bit off par at times. Um, but I love the idea that they get seduced into thinking they're safe and then the motorcycle gang shows up and everything goes to shit. And, you know, in every single Romero movie, that happens. Well, it's not a motorcycle game. It's, you know, something else. But, uh, yeah, I love this movie. This is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. Um, it might be in my top... I don't know, I have to sit down and write this down, but maybe top 15. So, yeah. Uh, props for me. So, <laughs> Props for you. <laughs> props for Romero for another great film. Yeah, no, he did... This was... I, I just... I, I really do feel that this is a better movie than Night of the Living Dead. Um, and I understand that Night of the Living Dead has that sort of gritty documentary feeling that I love so much in Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre. Um, but it just... Maybe it's because my mother didn't let me watch it until I was 20. But uh, this doesn't seem like a, a sequel. its I mean, I know it's a sequel. It's just another zombie movie made by the same filmmaker. Um, but it still feels... It makes me feel icky. Um, it, it makes me feel, you know, terrible as a human being. Because no matter what happens, and we've learned this in the last year and a half... When bad things happen and we should work together, we won't. Mm-hmm. No, we won't. Yeah, I've always said that no way. Night of the Living Dead taught me what people really were. Yeah. Like, I, I saw that so young, and I feel like since then, I my point of view of, of people in general comes from that movie. Like, no matter what, they'll always find reasons to disagree, and they'll always find reasons to shoot each other in the foot. Yeah. And, you know, when I said earlier that really if you are scared of zombie movies, you're scared of zombies being other people. It's mm-hmm. the other real people that aren't zombies that are always the threat. 
and that's what always ru not ruins but that's what always makes everything goes go tits up at near the end of every Romero movie um, the thing is is that you know we could be watching this and they get comfortable in their commercialism they've got this nice apartment upstairs they're doing great I don't know and then these punks show up and it literally just ruins it that's it you know that's that's a, it's like real life like you know you're doing good you're making i don't know $250,000 a year and then something like this happens you always got to keep moving and, you know it's also flyboy's own i mean he's really the real one real one that sabotages everything if only he would have just stayed up in the the rafters like peter wanted well yeah that's what made me mad earlier mm. it was his like this is mine i have to protect what's mine yeah. It's not only that, though. His own, like, selfish. It's not only like that. It's like a lot of things in history. It's Rome getting complacent and the Visigoths coming and taking over. It's the French Revolution and the aristocrats being in their own world. And then the masses wow. coming and hitting them with a guillotine. Um, it's just... It is saying... Go, it's just saying oh what, what, what Sean was saying earlier, or implying. that Y'all been implying. You gotta keep moving. Like the human spirit has to keep moving. You cannot be complacent, or you turn into the Eloy in uh, in the time machine. <laughs> and every now and then, the oh, Morlocks or whatever they're called come up from underground and, uh, and and take one or two of you. No, but that's what it, that's okay. what all those things are about. That's what all those things are about. I don't know how you got there, but I was thinking about it for a long time. I just didn't know what to say it. Um, I will say also because uh, you give me more time to think about things. Because I saw more of the extended cutscenes with them living in their apartment or whatever. I didn't realize it got so fleshed out in, in the uh, extended cut. There's a, a picture on the wall, a framed picture in their little apartment that they make. Uh, it's like a flower, but it, it, there's definitely a vulva in that flower. Um, oh, yeah. I, Big time. Yeah. I kept thinking that. Yep, definitely. And then... Um, uh, I found, by the way, because the the Rotten Tomato score for this one is a lot better than the uh, the um, Snyder version, but um, fair enough for the critics for the seventy. Well, they put it seventy eight here, seventy eight version of Dawn of the Dead, ninety four percent with the critics, ninety percent with the audience. The little blurb says one of the most compelling and entertaining zombie films ever. Dawn of the Dead perfectly yeah. blends pure horror and gore with social commentary on material society. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's also just highly entertaining. I mean, besides that uh, that stuff, I mean, I just think the characters are fun. It's got such a fun and pretty vibe to it. Like, it, just the colors of them all just pop. Mm -hmm. And when I was watching the, the behind-the-scenes, the, the uh, production designer was saying the first thing he did was go through a every single light bulb in the mall and change it to light bulbs that would work for filming. That's just a detail you'd never think about because, of course, they're filming in a real mall. And so they, they need very particular stuff. And so, something about that just spoke to me. Especially in a movie that costs less than a million dollars. That's not something you'd expect. Yeah, just the attention to detail like that. And th thinking about the fact that they filmed in a real mall in 1970, I think it was seven when they filmed this. Sure. It's just an interesting piece of history. Like, that I always enjoy going back to. Same with Chopping Mall. <laughs> Good film. Yeah, Chopping Mall. Yeah. There's a film that did not put the same attention. Like, you watch that, you can tell that they did not go through and change every light bulb to make it cinematic. <laughs> that movie's too dark throughout. Oh, but 
thanks again, uh, Sean and Eric, for coming on and talking about this movie. Very much looking forward to talking about the remake. And uh, catch us on the next one. Peace. Don, Don of the Dead. I mean, I'm, I'm. <laughs> we, the way that we're talking, people would think that we don't like this movie, but I think all three of us really enjoy this movie and think it's really great. Um, this is, by the way, this is, by the way, Eric, one of the 1,001 movies you must see before you die. Oh wow, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is, along with Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, and I'll just say to uh, excuse myself because I usually try to direct these podcasts to some extent. But I started drinking beforehand, so I'm I was a little drunk coming in and yeah, so that's I blame I myself. Could, but <laughs> Yeah, I could totally tell you were hammered. God damn.